Hello, welcome to Art Lives, a series of interviews with artists of all media. My name is Elizabeth De La Mater, and I am a musician. That means that I study, play, and teach music in many different places, including concert halls and classrooms and forests and beaches. It's a unique experience that no other artist has, because art is unique, and our society enjoys and utilizes art in myriad ways. On this podcast, we will talk with artists one-on-one about their art, their lives, and how they navigate the world. This episode features a chat with Scott Farkas, who introduces himself as an educator, a maker, and a performer. As you will hear, Scott first trained for a very specific music performance career, and now has become an artist in a much broader sense. Scott encourages and nurtures creativity in others, and he has helped to create a rich artistic community in Idaho where he lives. He is also a very delightful person, and I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Here is Scott Farkas. So, my first question is, how is art in your life? How is art in my life? Yes. Art, art is like a savior in my life. Okay. There's, there's, like, I made this mistake when I was 17 of wanting to get good at music. <laughs> right? And I had this idea about what that meant, and I went down this road and dug dug in really deep, and there was all these, there was like this really dark period in my life where I got really burned out, and I wasn't playing anymore, and it sucked. And there were all these like road signs along the way that yeah. I was heading towards this dark place, and I let people talk me out of them. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, so like I yeah. people would be like, I think I'm going to stop school for a while. Or I think I'm going to quit playing or something. And people would be like, no, don't do that. That's a mistake. And I let that happen. And I kept going down that road uh. to where, to where like m- music was not something I wanted to be a part of for a while. Wow. And I had all this professional training and it was really the only thing in the world I was qualified to make money doing. And I just didn't want to do it. And, and like at the time, I was a freelance musician. Uh, this is when I was living in Ohio, right? So right. like, I had this crummy old apartment out there, and I was making no money, and I couldn't afford heat. And I, yeah. like, there's a thing where like you can't afford to have friends. Like, your friends yes. call, they call you, they're like, let's go get a beer, and you're like, not only can I not afford a beer, I cannot afford the gasoline to drive to the bar to hang out. Right. Like, you know what I mean? And so then eventually people stop calling you. <laughs> So yes. like it was dark times, and so this is the story. It's gonna it's gonna get brighter. So the story is <laughs> that I had this huge apartment for some reason. It was massive. It was like an entire house, but it was super cheap because it was in a crummy neighborhood. Okay. And the walls were completely white. And yeah, of course. I was losing my mind, and I wanted to buy some art to put on the walls. And so I started talking to artists I knew, and I just didn't want to insult their work by asking them to cut me a deal and I couldn't afford their art. Right. And so I talked to a friend of mine who was like, you should go out and buy some canvas panels. They're real cheap 
and buy some cheap paint and cheap brushes and just make something. And if it sucks, you can throw it away. And so, like, with all of this free time I had from not having friends and from not wanting to gig and whatever, I just started painting every day. Like, I painted, wow. I painted for hours and hours. So, like, all these paintings? Yeah. Like, I... The, I've yes. seen your work. I when I met you, you were already painting. I thought that was something you'd just done all your life. No, when you met me, I just started painting. <laughs> <laughs> and these are like they're not good, but these are all like I put them on the wall and I tell my students these are like a reminder about how yeah. that thing was here and it had to get out. And as soon as I started putting it out in a context where I wasn't trying to be great, where I wasn't upset if I wasn't a professional or whatever, yeah. I started putting it out in a safer context. That brought me back into the, into the life, you know? Yeah. So, like, in a sense, painting saved my life. But, like, I, it's like painting and music to me are all kind of the same. Yeah. I just sure. go down that road with painting like I did with music, right? So somebody just suggested it, and you went, okay. Yeah, I was like, well, all right, I, you know, I'll spend $20 on some paint and some canvas and some brushes, and I'll do it. That is cool. Do you, do you remember who that specifically is? Yeah, yeah, it was my friend Julie from New Jersey. Does Julie know that yeah. you... So we're video chatting right now, and I can see this beautiful colors behind you. Does Julie know the monster she has created? Yeah, so That's... she then was like, you should sell your paintings. And I was like, no, I don't want it to become that. Right. I don't want it. Like what I like about it is that I'm not trying to sell them. And, but I was at the same time a broke freelance musician. So I was like, <laughs> well, I, I guess I'll try. So for a long time, she was like my publicist <laughs> would like, like be like, Hey, you need to put more things on your Etsy store or uh -huh. like, you haven't posted on Twitter in two days. You need to get on there or whatever. So I had like this persona that was spark spot. And I know. The, idea, the idea was it was like all one spot for art and music and teaching and whatever. You come to the Fark spot. And uh, like she helped me put all that together. And oh, so she, she knew what was going on there. And then I came out here and she's like, Fark spot died. And I'm like, yeah, I have a job now. <laughs> I, have to, <laughs> I have to work. <laughs> I had no idea. Wow. So she's like your, your artistic angel. Or yeah. Lots of people are though. Yeah, it's not. It's not just. It's not ever just one person. No. Right. Never. Not for me. But she. So I had no. I like I said. I had no idea that you hadn't always done that. Yeah. So no. That's, I, that's wonderful. Yeah. So now you say you have this job, but to me, it's not a job. I when we talk about what you do. We talk about you helping people create. One of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you for this podcast was the different people you encounter in this job and the ways, the many different ways you help people create. And you mentioned to me that it doesn't have to be a highfalutin, high cost thing. And that's kind of one of your missions. Mm hmm yeah, so, right, so then you're freelancing and you're applying for everything, yeah. and I got the gig in Idaho, right, so I teach at the College of Southern Idaho, it's a community college in Twin Falls, Idaho, it's 
a, a kind of a cool, interesting place. Uh, and you have an idea of what it's going to be to teach at a college, and uh, it's totally not that at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there's a lot of different ways you can confront that. You can be frustrated with the students you, who come and try to force them into the mold that you went through school in. Um, or you can say, what's the value that I can create here? And so, you know, a big part of my life as a teacher is you – it's, a, it's like the John Cage rule number one, right? Find a place you trust and then try trusting it for a while. Yeah. So <clears throat> so if a student has given me their trust, then I have kind of a solemn obligation to create value for them. And there is value I can create even if they cannot play a four-mallet ripple role or, right. read it, or read an eighth note or whatever. You know, we can work on all those things. It's school, it's for learning, and we can make really satisfying high-level music without having to deal with all of that stuff on the level that you do on some of the composed, written-out, measure-for-measure music that we all learned in our college setting. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. What you just said was, well, you said many important things, but the thing you said, the mold that you went through school in, I just had this conversation with one of my colleagues at university today, and that's we we go through school and then we get out and we teach and we expect to have the students that we were, and then we expect to recreate the school that we think we had or the education yeah. that we think we had, and that's that's not possible and that's not reality. Right. And that's, and that's not saying, man, there was this great thing and now there's this terrible thing and I have to make it work. <laughs> no, it's saying like your life is different than my life. And <laughs> to be a good teacher, I have to recognize you're a different person and find the thing that is going to be valuable to you. Right. This situation in Idaho is different than the situation in New York where I went to school. And so I have to find the value here. And that's a wonderful, beautiful process to go through, you know? And yeah. I, I just did uh, an exercise with a bunch of my faculty where we were talking about values. Okay. And we were, like, trying to define our values as an arts department. Oh. What are, what are our values as a department? Wow. And our, our number one value came out to be more people should make art. That's beautiful. And if cool. that's where you're starting from, yeah. more people should make art, well, then everyone's welcome in the room. Right. And when you come in, it makes planning harder. I can't plan the <laughs> repertoire in advance. I right. can't write. So, but when you come in, I'm going to say, here you are. What yeah. do you want to learn? What do you want to do? What's your, what's your ambition? And then let's figure out a way to get there. So you start from the outcome and then you figure out the things that you can plug in to get to that outcome. Yeah. And, and, and that's how you construct it. So you're making really meaningful stuff. And, and maybe not teaching the things you thought you were going to teach. Uh, is that okay with you? I love it. Nice. I love it. I, I, I start my semester by asking my students what they want to learn. Yeah. What do you, instead of starting by saying, this is what we're going to do, I say, what do you want to learn and how can we go from there? And then, and then I, I mean, I don't want to seem like, uh, the, the, uh, kids are running the candy store, right? So we start with what do you want to learn? And then I'll say, this is what I hope you'll learn. 
Yeah, okay. And this is what the college hopes you'll learn. Sure. And this is what you hope you'll learn. And let's put those three things together and chart a path. And we're going to do that by making things, not necessarily by um, doing, you know, a particular piece of repertory. Sometimes we do that, but we're going to we're going to make stuff. Yeah. And so then what are your what do you do personally now when you how do you personally make art? Is that by helping others make art? Do you still paint on the side? Do you still perform on the side? <laughs> I, hang on, look over here. This is the pile on my desk uh, of unfilled out thank you notes. Oh. <laughs> so these are like my thank you note paintings, right? Whoa. I, I paint. I paint thank you notes to people, and I try. Um, like you're always trying to think about the people who inspired you as an artist, and yeah. so uh, like. I'm sorry, I'm talking and I'm not near the camera. So, like, Jim Tenney inspires me a lot, yes. uh, James Tenney. And so um, I started thinking, uh, I'm writing thank you notes to people who aren't necessarily musicians or who are all different kinds of musicians, and I want to give them a piece of music. And how can I do that? So I started, like, on the backs of them composing these little pieces that Beautiful. they can play. Right? So they get, cool. like, a little, they get a painting and they get a piece of music and a thank you note. And so that's a way that I still paint. Cool. Um, but, you know, like, we, I feel like my class, my my students in that ensemble, like, we make the music that I wish I was making. Yeah, great. You know, so. that's That I, sounds yeah. marvelous. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just sounds like a dream. So, uh, what are you thinking about um, for... This next, well, the words, the words, uh, near and far, whatever that means to you. What's what's your maybe next thing you'd like to try, either with your students or alone? And then, do you have a longer term project that you're thinking about that will be different, or are you working on hanging with this beautiful thing that you're doing? right now so uh i have things on the calendar because i'm addicted to putting things on the calendar okay so in november i'm going to premiere a new concerto for glockenspiel and orchestra wow which is going to be cool yeah uh, if i ever practice yeah that'll be <laughs> that'll be fun is that um, your piece did you no, compose it no uh do you know james romake yes i do the composer at western illinois so, so you composed it. Did you commission that from him? Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Yeah, the, it's a it's a strange story. Actually, I commissioned it three years ago <laughs> for a symphony to remain nameless, and yeah. uh, we we got to the performance date and they didn't want to play it. Oh no! And they like they literally backed out of the performance maybe two weeks before the show. Uh, and I've spent the last few years shopping it around, looking for someone else to premiere it. And uh, the little community orchestra not far from here that wants to do it. So Cool. Yeah. You've commissioned a lot of pieces. You've asked other people to write pieces for you, pieces of music. So then does it feel personal like when that orchestra said, no, we don't want to play it? 
Just, do you feel? Do you have personal emotions tied to these pieces? I was really upset. Yeah. Uh, Were you upset? But... I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm irrationally emotionally tied to music or pieces or events. I, and I don't know. I think I was really tired. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the push towards the premiere performance was a lot of late night practicing and all, you know what I mean? All that stuff. Yeah. And so I was really tired and I was just upset that I'd put all this work in, but I don't think there's value in being upset like that. You know, they, they have to give the performance that's meaningful to them. And in some way you can imagine if we had gone through a contentious rehearsal process and given an unmeaningful premiere, then we all would have walked away with a bad taste in our mouth and that piece would have been brought into the world in a negative way. And so, you know, there's value in finding someone who wants to be a part of it. That's for sure. You know what I mean? Like I think, and, and there's, it's, it's so difficult, but like, I really feel like there's, when you're angry at something or someone or whatever, like that impacts you and not them. Yes. And so you should try to release that, but it's so hard. <laughs> I know, but you seem to be so stable now, Scott. Will you give me <laughs> lessons? <laughs> well, this is years after it happened. You should see me that night. <laughs> that was so, not, I don't know if you would call me stable then. <laughs> so what, what do you get? Uh, do you get upset about things now? You found yourself in this place where you, you uh, have figured out how to, to create with all of these people that you um, get to teach. And I know you're in a beautiful place and you love the nature that you're in Idaho. Um, are you, I guess, uncontented or, or dissatisfied right now with something? There's always frustration, right? I yeah. Wish more kids would come to school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, <laughs> Not just kids. I, I should stop using that word. I wish more people would come make stuff with me. Like, this is a community college, and a big piece of the value is that we're here for the community, right? Come make stuff with us. And a lot of people do, and it's really great. And I just, I always wish there was more. So, yeah. you know, there's that. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I things are going all right. There's always, you can always play that game in your head. If only I had a doctorate. If only I had this job. If only... But, like, you'll drive yourself crazy doing that. Yeah. I think it's it's something to try to be really thankful for the opportunities you've been given and to try to do really well with them and understand that you can create beauty anywhere, right? And, and just right. try to do that. So what, what is your life um, now compared to what you thought it was going to be like, and I know that's a hilarious question. <laughs> what what frame of reference do we want to use? Right. Like, okay, so let's... 17-year-old Scott who thought he was going to be in the New York Philharmonic? That's exactly it. One of, <laughs> that's, that's, that's like the favorite question, right? Right before you graduated from high school, what did you think success was going to be? Yeah, I thought I was going to be in the New York Philharmonic or ah. an orchestra like that. And I was going to be composing for big orchestras, big awesome. symphonic pieces for big orchestras, right? Awesome. Um, and that's totally not 
where I am. And it's also totally not a fallback or a backup, right? You just learn the diversity and intricacy of options that are available to you and you start following a whatever complex path you follow. That's beautiful. Diversity, you know? intricacy. So what inspires you? Uh, what would you do if you had the day off tomorrow? What would you do uh, or read or look at? How do you find inspiration? To, you mean like it, in creating art? Sure. So honestly, right now, uh, I'm thinking a lot about my uh, – it's called percussion ensemble, but I kind of call it experimental music class. Yes. Yeah. We're not always hitting things. Um, so I've been thinking about that class. So there's there's seven of us, if I include myself, in the class this semester. And we've been given access to an abandoned um, department building. Department store what? Building. Yeah. Wow! So we're going to do a, a performance experience in there before they tear it down, which is in November. So we're going to do it in October. It's coming up, right? Super cool. And I told them at the beginning of the semester, um, rather than play a bunch of other people's music, I want us to create the whole event. Uh, and so we're dealing with how do you write and learn an hour of music when you're an inexperienced musician and give a convincing performance that involves your audience all in a month and a half. Oh my gosh. Right? When did you come up with this idea? Uh, I kind of was working on it through most of the summer because I knew I had this space and I knew kind of what I wanted to do. And yeah. I started looking at repertoire for a while and then I was like, you know what? Like, if well, we're going to talk about making things, we should make something. Wow. And what I'm going to do is take the repertoire that I'm looking at and use it as examples of creative process. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when students say, like, okay, so you know, um, an hour of music is like 150 of these and I couldn't possibly write and learn those in a month. I agree. You can't. Yeah. So how do we, how do we solve that problem? And, and the answer is a lot of people have solved that problem. Lots of different ways. Right. Let's, let's look at some examples. So we get to look at Frederick Krzyzewski uh, building an entire evening length piece one note at a time, one, then two, then three, then four. And all you have to do is learn one short melody and you've got so much material or someone who says, um, you know, develop a, a system of rules and then play out the rules. You can learn the piece in 30 seconds. Right. And have lots of material that you can go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into. So you give a convincing performance day one, but you can give a deeper performance every day you work on it. There's instant success. Yes. And instant artistic gratification. And you work from there to get even deeper. There's so, never the, like, it sounds like crap, but the concert's tomorrow. What have you done already? You're in your week three of your semester, right? Yeah, they've got about 40 minutes of music. Holy cow! Go. Yeah, that's <laughs> pretty cool. So um, <laughs> we're doing things like, um, okay, so everyone has a random number generator. Yeah. And you generate a number between 15 and 200. Uh-huh. And then you count silently to that number. 
<laughs> and then you play a drone while counting silently to that number. And then you play another drone while counting out loud to that number. And wow. then you count out loud without the drone. Nice. So this is this is symphonic form, right? It's four yes. parts. It's A, B, A prime, B prime. Mm-hmm. And uh, it takes up a bunch of time. And it's really rich and complex counterpoint. And we played it within a few minutes of having come up with the idea as a group. But then we can go back and rehearse and talk about, okay, so if your ears are really turned on. Yeah. And you realize I'm counting at the same rate as the person to my right. Is that something you want to cultivate or something you want to move away from? Right. Or, Or realize we have options in terms of dynamic here. Do I want to adjust dynamics as people enter, or do I want them to be impacted by entrance and exit? Do What kinds of sounds? Do I want complementary or opposing sounds? Do you see what I'm saying? So we're I really, love it. I love that. And we're, we're tying music making to your ears. Yes. And all this, and we, you know, we can talk about form, we can talk about counterpoint, we can talk about creativity and all this stuff, but like, I don't need to teach you really complex individual measures of five over 10 over nine over seven to yep. get there, even though we're getting things that sound kind of like that. I've been doing these kinds of pieces with my elementary or middle school uh, groups in summer camps for the same reason. I used to try to find somehow a piece or two we could play in a week and then play for our parents. And, you know, then students might either have a really boring part or they might have a very difficult part that they're trying to learn of written music. But if we play a piece like what you're talking about, um, then right away we can all be talking and discussing about what we're hearing and contributing and making decisions and trying things out. And um, it's so much more fulfilling and also participatory and creative. Mm. And they're super excited at the end of the week. And then they, you know, I hope talk to their parents about it all the way home, but they always have a ton of things to say about it. Um, Mm. Uh, and that's been much more fulfilling. And the feedback I've gotten after camps and I hear from these kids now during the year, and I never used to, when we were doing, you know, like, uh, I don't know. I don't want to say the name of a piece. I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. But yeah, Yeah. I used to try to find pieces that somebody published and, and Yeah. yeah, I let go of that too. Do do you know Danny Clay? I want to, I don't know, not personally, but I know the name. Yeah, Danny, uh, I just met him last year. We did a bunch of his music last year. Wonderful, and okay. He's a, he's a great composer, but he's an elementary school music teacher. Fantastic. And I said, but, I don't mean but. And he's an elementary school music <laughs> teacher. And uh, he writes for these big deal groups, you know, so percussion, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. percussion, and these kinds of guys. And right. um the music he writes for them is the music he makes with his elementary students. So it's games. Like you learn the game and you play the game and that's the piece. Right. And so, you know, third coast percussion does it and it sounds different than when seven year olds do it. Yes. But there's just as much music when the seven year old does it. There's just as much joy and community and understanding. And it's beautiful. It's just beautiful stuff. Nice. Yeah. Okay. He, All right. 
he's my inspiration these days. My musical That's inspiration. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. That's nice. Do you, are you reading books? Am I reading you... books? Uh-huh. Yeah, but so reading is a challenge for me because, right, I always joke, I say I'm the college professor who doesn't know how to read. Uh, <laughs> because, so like I'm dyslexic and um, I like a lot of musicians, I process a lot auditory yeah. processing instead of visual processing. And so um, I have this weird relationship with reading where it's a real struggle for me yeah. to, to read and comprehend and process. And so something that might take you an evening to read might take me a week. Sure. Uh, and uh, it's not enjoyable. Like It's really difficult. So I listen to a lot of books. Yes. Um, and that's really nice for me. And uh, I try to listen to novels a lot because uh, I want to kind of get away from work but um so at work i'm now in this like leadership thing yeah we're we're learning about leadership and so i have to listen to these leadership books oh wow so that's that's what i'm listening to at the moment yeah do you have time to uh during the semester do you have time to to just listen to whatever you want or play whatever you want? Do you have any time like that? Well, okay. Um, so I, I do, I, a lot of the music I want to play a lot of yeah. it, I guess in my classes. So sure. I, I do the music that Bernard taught me from Ghana. Yeah. One class um, right now. So in percussion ensemble, we're making that long experimental thing, mm-hmm. but we're also doing traditional Mexican marimba music. Fantastic. And, doing ensemble music so like wow. the, the rehearsal is two hours and we do one hour of, of what if i call it i call it nice. what if hour beautiful <laughs> so we do one hour of what if and one hour of traditional music from somewhere uh-huh. and the idea is like you should also learn how to dance and you should learn how to sing and you should like this should all be a part of community-based music making right yes yeah and so we're going to do that through brazilian music through african music through mexican music through uh, even traditional American rope drumming and things like that, you know? Cool. So yeah. uh, do all that. Um, so that's all music that I really love making, and I get to make it as part of my job. And it doesn't uh, feel like work. Sometimes it does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On Thursday afternoon when you're pretty tired. and Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I always say that. So I teach, like, percussion ensemble and then African drumming back to back and oh right and it's like five hours of just straight teaching and every time i get to the second class every time i get to the african drumming class it starts at five and it goes till seven and every time i'm like i should just cancel class tonight i'm so tired (laughs) every time at the end of class i'm like i'm so glad i did that that was yeah right (laughs) (laughs) so i i there's parts that feel like work there's parts that don't um yeah I try to listen still. I don't know. What are you listening to? Well, I'm... What should I be listening to? Oh, I don't know if you should (laughs) ask me that because now I'm teaching a a different um, popular music class. I'm teaching a rock class for the first time in a couple years. And so I'm trying to cram some of the more popular stuff I haven't listened to lately. I love pop music. So have I told you my pop music quality theory? Oh, please tell me. Yeah. Okay. So this is, this is a theory I have and, uh, podcast universe 
disagree. It's oh, okay. fine. You know? Right. So here's the theory. The theory is, um, like, I'm gonna I'm gonna mash this up a little bit, but like, in different musical eras, the creators tend to be focusing on one element or another at a time, right? So like, Bach is working a lot on counterpoint, and it gets really complex. Yeah. And and, and like Mozart is like form. It's all about clarifying form. So, like, harmony gets real simple. Counterpoint gets real simple. It's just melody and chords, and they're, like, one, five, one, five, and we're going to figure out the form. And then, like, in the Romantic era, they're, like, harmony, 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 right? <laughs> and, and so, like, we fall back into, uh, into classical forms, and it's, like, all about the harmony. And then, for some reason, we got stuck there, and we decided that harmony was the only indicator of quality. And so... The uh, the complaint about pop music is that it's not harmonically complex enough. Right. But here's my theory. The harmony got simple. The form got simple. The melodic content got simple. Because what are we playing with? We're playing with timbre. Yeah. That's what all the computers and the electronic drums and the auto-tune and all that is playing with timbre. And we just don't have the music theory vocabulary to precisely describe the experiments with timbre that are going on in pop music. But that's where the quality is happening. And that's why everything else simplified so that we could spend a few decades messing around with timbre. And that then goes to texture. Yep. I mean, the texture that seems simple, you take apart or split apart all those digital, I want to say digital atoms. I was listening to, um, as I said, the radio for my class. And oh, I, no. the radio. <laughs> and it, I ended up listening to Billy Idol. And I thought, uh -huh. oh my gosh, I never realized how many different instruments are playing in this last chorus there this is a really really dense orchestration and all i knew at the time was i thought he was super annoying uh you know i thought his hair was dumb <laughs> or, or go back so i was just on a road trip this weekend and yeah. uh that song by america came on uh the horse with no name yep and, like, everyone knows it, right? And and you get the melody in your head. What you don't realize is that there's a final orchestration that you add a thing, add a thing, add a thing. Yeah. And the last piece is a counter melody that starts on tonic and rises through the verse to end an octave higher on tonic. So you get, like... Like in the Bach cello suite, that bottom, 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 bottom chorus, dude, dude, right? Yeah, happens in this thing, and you're like, "This is why this is such a timeless song. It's so good. It's using all of the stuff that I love about Bach and all of yes. the stuff that I love about Beethoven is in this America tune." Yes, we we repeat the melody, yeah. but the orchestration changes and the and the harmonization changes, and you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all these, you have all of this music and people now and these great, they call them producers, but they're arrangers and composers, composers. Yeah. are just picking from this amazing buffet. Uh -huh. And they know how to put this stuff together, literally. And some of it is incredible. And like you said, I there are so many songs where, that will come on and I think, oh, this old thing. And then I realize, oh, wait, this has that desk hand that I love to sing along to or this has that bass mm -hmm. line or this has that 
Yeah. And if you go into the studio and say, I really like that desk camp that you wrote there, they'd be like, what? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I read a great interview with Lars Ulrich talking, I think, about Master of Puppets. Uh, okay. And and he's like, you know, some musician came up to us and asked, like, you know, there's a measure of five eight or something, and what do you think about what? How did you go into that decision to make that measure of five eight there? And he goes, I think someone just said, let's try it shorter this time. <laughs> you know, right? Like, <laughs> right? and that, uh, yeah. it, it's it's exactly right. You don't have to have all of the like fancy words and all yeah. that. What's good is still good. Yeah. Do it twice and then do it different the third time. There you go. Right? That's still going to be good no matter how you do it. Yep. <laughs> Bring it back at the very end again. Do <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Form is form. That's another thing. Yep. Anyway, that's just uh, I'm. You could tell I I can tell I'm at the beginning of these pop classes because I'm thinking about all of these universal artistic things, and I'm looking at architecture right now, and I'm going, oh yeah, see, you know, and there's a Stevie Wonder tune, and that's why I don't want like I my I, Scott's ideal world, right? There's no music major, there's no art major, there's no dance. It's just make like yeah. It's a, Major, just make nice. Things. But you know, I guess that doesn't get you a job. <laughs> I mean, it should. I think it should. But yeah, I, uh, you got a you got a job doing something you never thought you would yeah. do, or you didn't know existed. Do you know this is what I end up? I find myself saying to lots of young artists sitting yeah. in my office. It, it, I'm sure you're a professor. You've had this conversation a hundred times. The student who comes in and they're like, I'm a business major, but I want to play in your percussion ensemble. And then they play. And then they're like a semester later, they're like, man, I really hate this accounting class. And then like a semester later, they're like, I'm thinking about dropping out of school. And then all of a sudden you're talking to them about like, it's stupid to be a music major, right? Like there's no money. I shouldn't do it. And I find myself invariably saying, I can't tell you that you're going to have a career as a musician. There's no way to know that. And like you said, there's no way 17-year-old Scott could have known he's teaching at a community college in Idaho. Like that was, And if you had asked me when I was 17, I would have said, there's a lot of things in the world that I'll do. One thing I will <laughs> never do is be a teacher. It's never going to happen, right? Amazing. <laughs> and because, and, you know, teaching was like the family job, and I hated it, and I didn't want to do it, and whatever. And so, uh, but here I am, and I love it. And so what I said to them is like, there's no way to know what you're going to do. And yeah. a major, a major doesn't make you do something or not do something. Right. But here's what I do know. Whatever you do, whatever it is, you will be better at it because you studied art. Period. Yes. Amen. Right? You may become an accountant and you will be a better accountant because you studied art. Amen. That's it. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. That's beautiful. Well, I I think that uh, I need to, to have a chat with you every week because then I think that would be good for my soul. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. It's, it's always fulfilling and wonderful to talk with you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right. So I have uh, – I please tell uh, – please to finish this. Sure. Wonderful – Amazing conversation. Can you please um, recommend three 
anything, anything at all that you would like to point people towards. And it could be a poem or a painting or a book or a um, financial seminar, or it could be uh, anything you want. You want three, three Scott's Scott's three things that okay. you're into well, right now. Okay, so listen, my first one's going to be wacky, and then I'll try to come back with normal. I don't try. <laughs> so my first thing is uh, make something with someone. Beautiful. We don't do it. It's not a part of our ethos. It's not a part of our lives, and we're afraid of it, and we shouldn't be. So go out. Either Either find the person that's asking you to make something and don't let yourself say no, or just find someone and make something. And uh, the second level, if you are already a pro at making things with people, find someone you don't get along with and make something. <laughs> and it's going to help you get along with them better. Right. Because you know? you're making yeah. the things together. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, okay, that's, I guess, my first thing. Nice. Uh, man, now I have to, like, pick. Okay, so um, I'm really into the wonderfully simple and beautifully complex music of Sarah Hennies. Aha. Uh, do you yes. know her stuff? Yes. Uh, oh. I, I've just learned about it last year and uh, dug in deep and uh, it's great. I'm actually going to record, uh, like make a music video out of one of her pieces next month with my friend, John over at ISU. Wonderful. Uh, and it's it's all of it is like one really simple idea for a long time, and there's so much depth. So if you're into like that kind of thing, Sarah Henney's music, check Beautiful. it out. Nice. Okay, and I, I need a third thing. Yep. Uh, man, Elizabeth, you're making me think tonight. So we're making something, we're listening to Sarah Henney's, uh, and okay, so you should check out the um, ceramic work of an artist named John Toki. Uh, he's a ceramicist who makes sculpture, so he's not making a lot of vessels and things, though he does make some, um, and it's just gorgeous. It's like these totem pole looking things that are full of color and life, but like he goes and makes them in places. So they're impacted by the people who are there. Wow. And he often asks people to make them with him. Oh, so neat. there's like amateur creation and professional creation put together into a thing. And it's like, it's, it's beautiful stuff. Where do you see that? Where do you, how do, do you just see that online? Is he near you? Okay, he's in San Francisco. Uh-huh. Um, and the story is, when I got here, yeah. uh, I went to the pottery professor and said, you know, there's this great piece by Frederick Rajeski named To the Earth, and you <laughs> yeah. play on pots, and how cool would it be if I had pots that not only sounded great, but looked great? Will you make me some? Right. And he said, I'll make you pots, but not to play someone else's music. Hey! So we're cool. going to make a thing together, right? So he and I wrote an hour-long he made a gallery of pots and then I made electronic music out of them and then wrote a performance track that goes with the electronics. We did an hour long thing, right? 
and I played on the gallery. So people are milling about the gallery and play the pots, right? So the process of this, right, this goes back to number one, make something with someone. Yeah. The process of this really joined us together as, you know, creative souls. Mm -hmm. And so now we work together a lot. We hang out. We talk about art. We do all this stuff. So he brought John Toki in to work with his students last year. And he and John and I like went out and hung out and had dinner and made art. And he and his students made this beautiful piece of sculpture together. And so I started looking into his work and it's just gorgeous stuff, man. Great. That's so actually some of our students just went out and he made these ceramic poles um, that are like six feet tall. And they're just like this. And then the students painted them. And they installed them in San Francisco out there at an art gallery. Wow. It's it's a really cool cool thing. You are truly doing some beautiful stuff out there. Well, I mean, this was the work of my colleague, right? I shouldn't take credit for that. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it it, sounds like an amazing community. Sounds like just a wonderful place to be. Yeah, we're trying to do cool stuff. I think if you... Right. It's a, a, a friend of mine a long time ago always talks about the gig triangle. There's three parts. There's the money, the I'll call it the content. Right. Say the money, the music and the people. But I would say the money, the content and the people. Uh-huh. And, and you're you need two of the three to take the gig. But what I'll take it further to say is uh, you want to try to make all three as good as you can. So build the community, figure out the money as you go and make whatever you can as as great as you can while you're doing it. And it's going to be awesome. Beautiful. Right? Yeah. That was inadvertently a cadence, right? That That was was, nice. (laughs) I know. I think I'm like going to cut. I, yeah, don't say anything else. (laughs) Yeah. Uh Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. You have been listening to the Art Lives Podcast. Thanks so much to Scott Farkas for talking with me. You can find Scott's work online at scottfarkas.com, which is spelled S-C-O-T-T-F-A-R-K-A-S.com, and also via his college, which is the College of Southern Idaho, which is csi.edu. I've posted links to those sites, plus links to Sarah Hennies and John Toki on the Art Lives page of my website, which is elizabethdelamater.com. My deep gratitude to Bill Salick for his expert production advice for this episode, and special thanks to composer Nicholas Myers for the use of his music. Nick and Ken Jimenez performed this track. And thank you so much for listening to Art Lives. <laughs>